All right, Ephesians chapter 3, I want to get started this way. I'm sure someone has said to you at some point something like this, right? There are only two kinds of people in the world, right? You've probably heard one of these things. I just want to share a couple of these. This is, we're going to start light, and then we're going to get heavy, and then we're going to end light. So that's, that's how we're going today, all right? Two kinds of people in this world. Right? There's some people who that alarm goes off and you are up and ready to go and some others of us who need to hit the snooze a few times. All right, next one. Two kinds of people in this world. Those who like to make the bed neat and tidy in the morning and then those of us who are sane and realize you're just going to get back into it later. And so what is the point of that? There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. By the way, please do not be like pointing at people like, Anyway, third one is this, okay, toilet paper. Do you flop it towards the wall or away from the wall, okay? Discuss that one later. Next one, two kinds of people in this world. Yeah, thank you. I don't know about this, for this one, when I see all the, the apps with all the numbers, there's a, like, I just get like the hives. It's like, oh, you got to get rid of those. And then the last one is... Books. This one hits very close to my heart. Are you? Yeah, and Davis, I feel like we have strong opinions about this. Bookmark or dog ears. All right. What about this one? Okay, what about this one? When someone says, I have bad news and I have good news. Right? Are you the kind of person that wants to hear the bad news first? Like, let's rip the band-aid off, get it over with? Or would you rather like, oh, tell me the good news first? Like, I gotta hear something good before you lay the bad news on me. Don't have to raise hands, don't have to, to answer this question. For those of you who are bad news first people, today is your day. We're gonna start with the bad news and then we're gonna work our way towards the good news, all right? The bad news is this, the church, and when I say the church, I'm not meaning discovery, I'm talking about the, the capital C, big C church, right? The church is a mess. The church is a mess. There's so many different things, unfortunately, that we could point to. Just a couple of examples from the last few years, right? Willow Creek, one of the largest churches in North America. Okay, a few years ago, their founding senior pastor came out that he had had uh, uh, various uh, moral indiscretions, right? Some of us last summer spent time listening to the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, and that's, in some ways, that story is old news, right? It happened in, in 2012, 13, 14. And, and yet, as people were listening to it, I think it struck a deep nerve, right? The, the unraveling of that community. More recently, or this spring, there was a documentary about Hillsong. And again, just some of the leadership scandals, cover-ups, abuse, all kinds of things coming out about, about them. And then just two weeks ago, this massive report about the Southern Baptist Convention and the systemic cover-up of sexual abuse have chosen them fairly intentionally, partly because there is a lot of bad news out there about them. You've probably heard some, if not all, of these stories, but I also choose them because they represent four very different ways of doing church. Different theological convictions, different expressions of worship, different church structures, which is to say that style, programs, even theology, none of these are able to prevent churches from doing horrible things in the name of Jesus. 
sin has this way of, of undermining and destroying individuals and systems of all types. This should, I think, serve as a, a humbling warning to us. Our, our preferences, our convictions, it's good to have those things. But at the same time, those are no guarantee that if you find a church that checks all of your boxes, that is not going to automatically make it a safe place, a good place, a healthy place. Now we start here this morning. We start with the bad news because it's real. And also because for a lot of us, these things are in the back of our mind. These stories are in our awareness as we open scriptures and as we read something like we read today in Ephesians chapter 3. Look at verse 10. We read something like this. Through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, and here's the key word, should. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. We read something like that and we experience a deep dissonance. Right? Because silence victims, cover-ups, the protection of unhealthy and abusive leaders, it does not mesh with the manifold wisdom of God being made known through the church. And so the question for us today is, well, what do we do with that? What do we do with this dissonance between this lofty ideal that we see here in Scripture, that we see in Ephesians chapter 3, and the reality that we often see unfolding in our world, the mess that the church is in? We're going to get into that here in just a moment. To back up for a second, we're in week six now of our journey through this book called Ephesians, this conversation that we are calling Exiles. Ephesians is a letter that was written by a guy named Paul. Paul actually reminds his audience that, oh, by the way, I'm still writing this letter here at the beginning of chapter three. He's writing from prison to his dear friends in the city of Ephesus, this young church this ethnically diverse church that is trying to figure out how, how do we do this? How do we follow Jesus together? How do we, uh, how do we follow Jesus together in, in circumstances, in a culture where the, the conditions are not favorable? This is why we're calling this, this conversation exiles. It's not because the Ephesians were actually exiled or away from their home, but it was more of that just that experience of feeling like there's all these other pressures on me. For them, the, the pressures of Greek and Roman culture, Greek and Roman politics, the economic pressures of the city of Ephesus, the worship that was going on there of the goddess Artemis, all these different things conspiring to make it difficult for them to figure out how that, that can make following Jesus together a challenge. So Paul, what he does is so interesting, right? He spends these first three chapters in, uh, in this letter reminding the Ephesian church who they are, who God is, and why it matters. Who they are, who God is, why it matters over and over again. And he's building up to where we're going to land next week, this incredible vastness of God's love. There's a lot of different things, a lot of themes running through the first three chapters, but all of it is building towards this. I just want you to know how much God loves you. 
who they are, who God is, and why it matters. Now, today's passage is a little bit weird because it, it falls right in the middle of all this. And again, it's building towards this, this amazing statement about God's love, but it feels repetitive, maybe even a little bit redundant. As Paul, again, reminds them of who he is. He, he reminds them of his particular mission. He starts talking yet again about things like mystery and unity and all these familiar themes. Let's, let's take a look at it now, picking up in verse 2. Surely, you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. I'm saying some things that I've already said before. <laughs> In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations. This reminder that, that the thing that the Ephesians are in right now, the moment that they are in, is unique. God is doing something new in them and through them. It has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs with Israel. And if you were here last Sunday, Pastor Joshua Chavez was with us, right? And he talked about the, the second half of chapter 2 and this incredible picture of unity. Right, how God is bringing Jew and Gentile together, what was once divided, now together in one new humanity. If you missed that, go back and, and, and check that out. To members together of one body, sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. How many times in just these first three chapters have we heard him say something like this? The boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. Now, the main repeated theme here is the theme of grace. The work of God through his son Jesus, which is a gift a gift freely and richly given. This grace that brings unity, that heals divisions, and again, specifically in their context, brings Jew and Gentile together into a new humanity. This is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus. Right relationships. Right relationship between us and God because of grace but also right relationship between each other because of grace. Who they are, who God is, why it matters. Now, two words from this, this particular section that I want to highlight that are maybe new or different than some things that Paul has said before. The first word is the word administration, which is a word that some people really don't like. And you know who really doesn't like this word? Pastors. The, the pastors are giggling in the front row. Uh, there, there's this funny thing. I get to hang out with pastors from time to time. And every time I hang out with other pastors, there's two things that inevitably come up. Number one is the awkward question, how big is your church? And then the second thing is like, it's almost like there's this automatic safe space that is created. And, and, and it's just like venting about administration. 
and, and how much, oh, it's terrible and blah, 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 all these things. I, I get it at one level. Pastors typically, you know, they want to be with people. They, they want to disciple people. They want to preach. They want to talk about Jesus. They want to talk about the Bible, all these wonderful things. They don't want to look at spreadsheets and answer emails. But here is Paul. Here is Paul who loves people. Who, who is passionate about ministry, who's planting churches, who loves to be with people, who is like the pastoriest pastor of all time. And yet a, multiple times in this section, he uses not just tedious, busy work. It's about sharing. It's about sharing. And one of the definitions of the word is to dispense. Administering is about how you make something accessible to other people. It is a way of loving and serving others. And this is so important. This is so important because grace is not just a concept to be understood. It's not just a, a truth, a bit of information to be downloaded into our brains. It is a reality that must be experienced. And because it must be experienced, it can be administered. It has to be shared pointed to. People need to be invited into this experience. And so this is not a bad word. This is not a random word that Paul uses here. He wants us to see his calling, his mission is to administer grace. And in a similar way, our calling, our mission is to help administer this grace, to share the good news of what God is doing and bringing unity and wholeness, shalom to his creation. Not just an idea, an experience. Now, one of the most clear demonstrations of grace, this gift of unity, is the bringing together of Jew and Gentile in the church under Jesus. Want to know what the gospel looks like in real life? It looks like very different people coming together to worship and follow Jesus together. Which brings us to the other key word here in, in today's text. This is from that verse that we read at the beginning, that word manifold, which is a weird word. Like, when was the last time you used the word manifold in a conversation? Now, I, I did a little bit of research on the word. Apparently, there's like, a, there's like a math part of this. So the math PhDs in the room Maybe you do use it in everyday conversation. But for me, I cannot remember the last time that I've dropped manifold into a regular conversation. But here it is. God's manifold wisdom. Webster's definition is this. Manifold. Marked by diversity or variety. Marked by diversity or variety. Here's how the New Living Translation handles this, this verse. I love this. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. Now, we have worked really hard over the last few years to ground our understanding of God, our, our understanding of Scripture in the mystery of the Trinity, that God exists as three persons in one being, Father, Son, and Spirit. This self-giving community of sacrificial love. So we begin 
with this relational nature of God, understanding God as relationship. Again, self-giving, sacrificial love. It is the the foundation and the principle, to paraphrase St. Ignatius. And so if God is relationship and God has made each of us in his image and each of us is different and unique in our personalities, in our ethnicities, in our cultures, in our experiences, even in like the ways that we think, the ways our brains are wired, all of these different ways, then it only makes sense that we would need to be together in all of those differences for people to get a full picture of what this relational God is up to in the world. Are you with me? We might say it this way, okay? If someone is missing, something is missing. If someone is missing, something is missing. When we are together, we get a picture. I mean, just think about this for a minute. We get a picture of the wisdom of God in all of its Diversity and variety. His manifold wisdom. When the church creates a culture of belonging, we display God's wisdom. As we like to say it around here, we are better together. One of our commitments, we've been processing this quite a bit in church, as opposed to a you-have-to-fit-in church. A belonging church versus a you-have-to-fit-in church. Those churches that we mentioned at the beginning in the bad news bin, again, I don't mean to pick on them necessarily, but they, they are or they were really good at creating a fit-in culture. And honestly, from a pragmatic point of view, fit-in cultures are quite effective at growth. Things are clear. Do these things, behave this way, follow these steps, and the reward is you fit in. And there's, there's a lot of us who, who, who I think like clarity and appreciate that, and we can figure out how to make that work for us. But belonging, right, belonging is way messier. It is far less pragmatic. But Paul does not say... Paul does not say that a church of belonging, a fellowship of difference, if you will, displays the pragmatism of God. He says it displays God's wisdom in all its rich variety. Now, here here we kind of move back into the good news part of it. Paul ends this section by saying this, in him, talking about Jesus, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now again, let's, let's discipline ourselves here to read this collectively and not just individually. This is obviously great news for us individually, for sure. But I, I underlined we there on purpose. Paul says we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Again, this is so important because the, the, church, the church culture or the culture that a church creates can play a huge role in our experience and understanding of God. 
The, the way a church is set up, the things that it values will directly and indirectly impact our understanding and experience of God to where we begin to equate those things with God's approval. And so if I worship this way, if I sign off on these doctrines, if I value these issues, God will approve of me and subsequently of anybody else who agrees with me. But what happens over time is that we begin to approach God through these narrow experiences. And we begin to fear things that are outside of those narrow experiences. We are not approaching God in freedom and with confidence. But if the culture of a church is to create belonging where we collectively display the wisdom of God in all of our weird and quirky ways, then we become more free in our approach and confidence with God. Again, Paul says, in him and through faith in him. In other words, in Jesus, in Jesus, under his grace, we can bring our full selves to this party called church, trusting God's wisdom in bringing us together, freedom and confidence to be together and to be with God. That's good news. So two encouragements for us as we get ready for communion. First one is this, discovery. May we throw ourselves wholeheartedly into Building a culture of belonging. Not, not to making it a, a you know, you got to do this, you got to fit in. No, a culture of belonging, which means among a whole bunch of things. I mean, this can mean all sorts of things. But, but kind of at a very basic level, it means going out of our way, right, to get to know people, to invite people into relationship, to hear and to value each other's stories, and to move towards deeper relationships and connection. So what does it look like for us to build a culture of belonging? Second encouragement is this, to bring our full selves, to bring ourselves in all of our weirdness and quirkiness and uniqueness, our questions, our experiences, our doubts, that knowing, and that is our new discoveries, all of it to community because it's in that knowing and that belonging that we get this bigger picture of God. Now obviously, just a quick side note, we want to use wisdom and discretion here. You probably don't want to lead with your deepest, darkest secret. But, but a culture of belonging is, a, is about openness. And, and over time, we build that kind of trust, right, where we can bring all of ourselves to the community. As that happens, again, we get this glimpse, this grasp of God's manifold wisdom, which grows our faith, which grows our trust. And as we grow in faith and trust, we approach God with confidence and freedom. Are you with me? Now, as we get ready for communion today, I'll invite the band to come back and, and prepare. Um, we're going to sing a couple songs. And then there are four stations here around the theater. And whenever you are ready, you can come to one of those stations and and. Uh, you'll be served a piece of bread and you can grab a cup of juice and then take that back to your seat. As you come to the table today, to the table where we remember and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, God's self-giving, sacrificial love, where we remember and celebrate the death 
and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That this means resurrection and new life and new humanity where we can now participate with freedom and confidence in relationship with God and with each other. All of this wonderful good news is just wrapped up and captured in these very simple elements of bread and juice. So as we reflect on all of that, again, those two questions, how can you contribute to creating a culture of belonging? What does it look like for you to bring your full self to the community? Take a moment to reflect on that. And then when you are ready, again, come and take communion with us.